Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at downtown, Northtown, Westside, Monterey. We love you guys. We love you guys. And if we haven't met, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. And of course, as many of you guys know, this last first Wednesday in May, I actually shared what I could like to call the 2030 vision. And really what it is, is just some of the big things that Substance is planning on doing over the next seven and a half years. The message is called Fivefold Gifts, if you haven't seen it yet on YouTube. But we are, here's the gist, okay? We're planning on adding new campuses, new schools. We're planning on taking our publishing company, book publisher. We're talking about the record label to a whole new level, taking them to new places. And I'm just gonna tell you guys, many of you guys are gonna play a critical role in all of these ministries. But in sharing that this last May, I really felt convicted by the Lord just to, to get out of the pulpit just a little bit more often this summer so that I could guarantee that a lot of the foundations for all this would get a little more forward progression this summer. And you guys, I'm kind of, I'm kind of freaking out with excitement over all the Lord is doing behind the scenes. And so I, I want to encourage you guys to be praying for me and the team this summer because I'm just telling you the foundations are being laid so that our church community can literally change the world. And, and speaking of changing the world, recently I, I, I was having a conversation with someone about all the cool things that our money is doing all around the world. And they were like, man, Pastor Peter, you got to talk about this kind of stuff more. And uh, I, I just, I, I felt convicted from that conversation that I, I just need to do a better job of informing you of the things that your money is actually doing all over the place. And, and of course, you know, one of the organizations that Substances, uh, that Substance partners with is an organization called Venture. And again, this is an organization that is so kick butt awesome. They specialize in taking the gospel to the the places around the world where less than 2% are, are Christians, and then even more than that, less than 1% of Christian wealth goes to helping to reach those people, okay? So we're talking about an organization that specializes in reaching the toughest places on earth. I love it. That is exactly the type of organization uh, I love to invest in. And so, uh, in fact, check out in this following video the things that, that our money, our church has actually done through Venture this last year. Every year we receive devastating stories from the areas where we serve. Stories of girls being trafficked, stories of our partners being imprisoned and even killed simply for sharing the gospel. Stories of refugee families finding safety in a ditch simply to avoid gunfire and bombs. The reality is we can never fully understand what people endure in the areas where we serve. But we do know that something powerful happens when we come alongside of them, responding at their greatest point of need. In fact, one of our partners said, I will never leave my people in need, not for the safety of myself or my family. No matter how difficult, she said, shouldn't we help more when people are in need? And that's what you did, Substance Church. You responded by rescuing girls, by providing meals, and by planting more churches than ever before. Fueled by your prayers and generosity, our partners are rising up stronger than ever with incredible stories of transformation. Stories of girls who were rescued, who are now rescuing other girls and even taking down trafficking rings. Stories of traffickers who become church planters and rescuers themselves. Stories of kids receiving desperately needed meals that restore their body and allow their education to flourish. 
and we're seeing hope break out in these hidden fields where hundreds are meeting in secret in closed countries and hearing the gospel for the first time ever. And we are seeing the power of transformation with thousands of people being baptized in one day. This is what we get to be a part of. And I wanna say thank you for your prayers, for your sacrifice, for your generosity. We're gonna to continue to follow the courage of our partners to bring justice to the unreached in some of the most difficult places on the planet. Isn't that cool, you guys? Don't you love seeing that kind of stuff? Now, many of you may not even know this, but Paul Herkman, the executive director of Venture, he actually calls Substance Church his home. It's awesome. They're family. How cool is that? In fact, most weeks you'll actually see them at our downtown campus. But you know what? Today I asked Paul, hey, would you come and bring God's word to us? And so wherever you are at, would you just stand to your feet and give Paul Herkman a homecoming welcome? Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be home. Uh, I agree, y'all can sit down. I agree with the good-looking, long-haired guy in the video. It's, it's incredible to say thank you in person. And yeah, if you're wondering, that video was shot at Historic Wesley, because if you're going to shoot a video of thanks, why not shoot it in one of the most iconic buildings in all of the Twin Cities, a place that my family calls home where we attend every time that we are here. It's an honor to be able to say thank you, first of all, to Pastor Peter and Carolyn, uh, for their friendship, for their partnership, for pastoring, for their leadership, and for believing in the work that Venture is doing, the incredibly important work in some of the most difficult places and Pastor Peter did an incredible job. I'm probably just going to cut and paste what he said and start putting it out on social media and just say, give to venture, listen to what this guy says. Um, we serve in places where one of the countries has the longest ongoing civil war and conflict area, creating an incredible refugee crisis in another country. The lowest caste is called the trafficked people, where up to 70% are being trafficked. Last month, we just stepped foot into our next country that is called universally the most closed-off country to the rest of the world. But it's in these places where we provide food and safety and rescue and education, where we provide vocational training, and most of all, following the lead of our international partners, we share the hope of the gospel. Now, last year, our partners were able to plant over 1,200 churches, but over the last four years, We've been able to plant through our partners more than 4,000 churches in places that never heard that Jesus isn't mad at them. That's incredible. So thank you. If, you. if you've given it any time on the weekends or on Heart for the House or any other point, you're part of those stories. There's this, this moment at the end of that video where a gentleman com comes up and it's so moving. I heard the ahs with this mass baptism and one gentleman comes up out of the water. 
our movement's representation of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ called water baptism, and then there's a phoenix that comes up. Now, this has been the logo of Venture from the beginning, and lest you think I'm going to go Harry Potter on you, I am not. The phoenix, actually, the early church chose the phoenix some even before the cross because of this beautiful connected story of a, of a bird that flies around for 500 years but then dies and comes crashing to earth in a ball of flames and then out of a pile of ashes rises up stronger and more beautiful. In the early church, mothers and fathers thought, well, this is a picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what we're partnering with and it's our story, wherever you're at, that you can rise up stronger in this season, during this series, that you, no matter how you feel, no matter how you walked in or logged in, that you, whether you're downtown, north town, west side, Monterey, online, that however you are feeling right now, you can rise up stronger. And I see this in the lives of our partners. I see it all the time. I'm so inspired. Cuckoo is in that country that is racked by civil war. In fact, she delivers meals to whole groups of people that have been displaced. And the military government says it's illegal for her to do what she does. In fact, it's so dangerous that this last year, three of our partners were killed for sharing food and sharing the gospel. So we said to Cuckoo, maybe you should pull back. Maybe you shouldn't provide meals. And yet, Cuckoo is the quote that you heard in the video. said, why am I going to pull back? Shouldn't we help more when people are in need? And so she goes to refugee villages and internally displaced camps. She actually goes to AIDS colonies and leper villages and delivers food at personal risk to herself. I'm inspired. She is like a phoenix rising up out of that conflict region, more beautiful than ever. Or like Sushila. Sushila was sold as a child bride because of the poverty in her family. And her husband then trafficked her after that. He beat her, he electrocuted her, he locked her in a bathroom at one point for four straight days, all she had was to drink the toilet water. But somehow, Sushila found the courage with the help of our partners to find freedom and rescue. And nobody would blame her if she's just enjoying her freedom to this day, but you know what? Sushila has given her life to rescue other girls. She stands on the border of India and Nepal and she looks for girls who are being trafficked over. She says, that can't happen. And she personally goes and grabs those girls, not me, and talks to them, counsels them, and is rescuing them. This last year, she got a nationally recognized award for taking down the very trafficking regime that had trafficked her. So Sheila is a bad, bad woman. <laughs> she is like a phoenix rising up. Or like Me Too, one of the youngest church planters. She was born in an area that said, you know what, you must have screwed up in your last time because you got like three strikes against you. You're a female, you are poor, and you are part of a low, marginalized caste. God must be mad at you. And then one of our partners said, oh, God's not mad at you. God loves you. You are a child. You are a daughter. She said, well, that's good news. I'm going to follow this God. And I'm going to tell other people about this God. So she went and became a pastor at one of our training schools, goes back to her village, and she starts telling people that God's not mad at them. And they start going, whoa, we want to follow this God. And very quickly, she started a church, and then the village witch doctor that runs the village 
throws her in jail, threatens her life to jail, a five-by-five-by-five five five box, beats her. 30 days later, lets her out because he's afraid that the jailers will become Christian. I read a book like that. <laughs> Me too, limping from the beating she's taken, starts going back to the village. She goes, wait, I will let you go, but if you go back to the village, I'm going to kill you. And she said, I will plant God's church or I will die. Today, there are more than 30 families in a church that Me Too continues to pastor, encourage. She is like a phoenix that rises up. This is our shared story, both if you've invested in this place, but also as a Christ follower, this is what we tap into, into the global church and what his kingdom come looks like, that we can live like that. And it's not just our international partners. It's what we see in this beautiful, prophetic, often scandalized text that invites us on this day, during this season, before this holiday, that we are a part of something powerful. So there's this book in scripture, it's in the second half, and it's a little bit uh, overlooked these days. Maybe because it's short, it's one of the shortest, it's only 25 scripture, but over the course of our nation's history, it's been scrutinized and scandalized and even canceled, ripped out. So I thought as long as Peter and Carolyn are gone, Let's read some scandalizing text. <laughs> you can follow with me. It's the book of Philemon. It's a one-chapter letter from Paul to the book's namesake, Philemon. And we're going to read verses 4 to 16. Every time, I say, every time that your name comes up in my prayers, I say, oh, thank you, God. I keep hearing of the love and the faith that you have for Master Jesus, which brims over to other believers. And I keep praying that this faith that we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things that we do and that people recognize Christ in all of it. Friend, you've no idea how good it makes me feel that your love makes me feel doubly so when I see your hospitality to fellow believers. Now, in line with all of this, I have a favor to ask of you. As Christ's ambassador and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it was necessary, but rather... I'd like to make a personal request. While here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak, and he's here, hand-carrying this letter, Onesimus. He was useless to you before, and now he's useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, but it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. I want, in the worst way, to keep him here with me to, as your stand-in to help me while I'm in jail for the message. But I don't want to do anything behind your back make you do a good deed that you hadn't willingly agreed to. And maybe it's all the best that you lost him for a while. You're getting him back now for good, and no mere slave this time, but a true Christian brother. That's what he was to me. He'll be even more than that to you. The word of God, the scandalous word of God for the people of God. So here's what's happening. Paul is writing a letter to his friend Philemon. Paul's incarcerated, or church word, imprisoned. Uh, he's incarcerated, and he's writing a letter to Philemon, who they have a relationship. Philemon became a Christ follower under Paul. Philemon, by all accounts, is a successful business person. He's also a leader in this church. Maybe he runs the house church. He's opening his home up, and, and Paul's writing to him, and he says, I met this guy that we have in common named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a slave, a slave of Philemon, and somehow there's something going on. He, 
at places it says that Onesimus wronged Philemon. I'm like, that's problematic for me that the slave wrongs the master. But nonetheless, as, as, we, as we think about slavery very quickly, especially in light of uh, Juneteenth uh, that we just celebrated on June 19th called America's Second Independence Day, slavery across history and in Scripture very problematic. But this kind of slavery was different than the slavery uh, at our nation's history where there was this economic engine that uh, racially dehumanized an entire group of people. This was more like indentured servitude. Somebody gets into a lot of debt, and I know none of you do that, credit cards, um, but gets into uh, a lot of debt and could willingly or has an opportunity to enter into saying, I will work for you, I will fully work for you until I pay off all my debts with the opportunity, theoretically, to step out of this slavery at some point. So there was an on-ramp and an off-ramp, and yet still it was problematic. Philemon has every right to keep this man in slavery, and Paul's saying, hey, he's a brother in Christ, so now maybe we should look for a different way for us all to relate to one another. What does it look like for us as it relates to the gospel for us to look at each other differently. Now, maybe you've already picked up on what's been scandalized and scrutinized and ripped out because in the early 19th century when at the front running of our nation, when different missionaries and later plantation owners would go to the Caribbean to convert enslaved Africans, they would tell them about the good love of Jesus and they would become Christians and then they would start reading parts of scripture like this and say, wait, this guy got to be free. What about like, you know, you and me? And well, these missionaries and these plantation owners found that scripture problematic, inconvenient. So they decided to rip it out. As a matter of fact, there was quite a few problematic and inconvenient parts of text that they just decided as long as we're ripping, let's just keep ripping. And so there's something called the slave Bible. Now, this Bible is a Protestant Bible a collection of 66 books. A Catholic Bible is a collection of 73. If you're Eastern Orthodox, it's a collection of 78. But the slave Bible, of which there's only two remaining in history, was parts of, seven, of, of uh, 14 books of the Bible. Must be nice to just rip out the inconvenient parts, the problematic parts, the parts that come against our worldview or our comfort or whatnot. And yet, with all of this, Philemon is not, first and foremost, a book about slavery, or anti-slavery, or anti-trafficking, or justice, or social justice, or even conflict resolution. This book, this scrutinized, scandalized book, like every other book in this collection of 66 books, is a story of transformation. The power of the gospel to transform individual people's lives. And Paul, Paul is writing, these three main characters, they've all been transformed already. Paul, in the past, we know, was transformed from being this religious zealot, killing people, to this passionate Christ follower, willing to be incarcerated for the message of God. And Philemon, a powerful business person, is now a Christ follower, opening his home and doing so many good things. And Onesimus wants a slave, currently a slave, but now a Christ follower. And Paul starts this conversation and he says, we can keep going. We can keep going. See, sometimes we think of transformation as a one and done. From hell into heaven. From bad behavior into good behavior. Not a Christian to a Christian. And that is clearly 
the most beautiful transformation that you can have. A transformation through accepting the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but the letters that Paul writes continues to encourage Christ followers to keep being transformed. He uses a Greek word called morphuo, which can be translated as transformed, or can be translated into things like um, being moved, being changed, being discipled, morphuo, where we get our term metamorphosis or change. And so this is what Philemon is about. It's an invitation for maybe if you're like me to go, hey, have I stalled? Am I continually being transformed in this season? Summer sometimes is an opportunity to coast, to go to the cabin, nothing wrong with cabins, to, to go to the lake, to get on a boat, to, to soak up the sun, to get the guns out. You know, whatever it is, there is this, this kind of letdown. And yet Paul, in this letter across time and space, invites us to go, what does my transformation look like? Have I stalled? Or am I going? Am I rising up like that phoenix? Am I rising up out of the ashes? Do I believe that I can be even more than who God has created me to be? And so he, he talks about three ways that we can be continually transformed. And the first, the first is that we can be transformed through deeper relationships. And there is this kind of foundational verse, and it's verse 6. He's laying the groundwork for everything else he's going to say in verse 6. And he says, and I keep praying that this faith that we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things that we do and that people recognize Christ in all of it. He keeps saying this we thing, what we have in common. In Greek, the word is koinonia. It's about 20 times in the Second Testament. And probably the most accurate interpretation of it is Christian fellowship or Christian assembly, or Christian friendship, which is good, but for me, it's a little milk toast. Now, I'm not trying to add to Scripture, but it's a little vanilla, it's a little bland, and when you really read the context of the things that Paul's talking about, Paul is never just like, hey, I hope you're just gonna change some behaviors. He's always like, there is so much more. This is beautiful. Count the cost. This is incredible. And here he's going, hey, we hold this thing in common, this koinonia, this intense relationship. In, in Philippians 3.10, he uses koinonia, and he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering. To koinonia in the suffering. The koinonia is that this thing that we have in common, no matter if you're super spiritual or if you're Chad King, no matter where you are in the spectrum, <laughs> hey, but he can wear a good denim, you know, which I think is kind of my thing, right? Like, I, I'm the denim guy. Anyway, uh, he's saying, remember, this is a big deal. Christ died and rose from the grave. Remember, we've invited to this new thing, this upside-down kingdom that looks radically different. Do you look radically different? This is what he's inviting us to. And I, I, I picture like people who have gone to battle, to war, who have their brothers and sisters, soldiers, uh, and, and they've gone through like uh, in the foxhole, on the front line, when you're in that kind of intensity and you never, you always have that. You are always linked together. Or if you've been in a family with a lot of trauma where brothers and sisters have to, have to kind of bond together to get through some difficult things. Here Paul is saying, man, all of it, this huge big thing, we are united. We're not just good buds. We don't just know each other's name. We don't just know how each other's job is going. But we are deeply connected in the work of Christ. And what is that what does that look like for us? Because Paul's really challenging him the way the gospel challenges us to call us to more. 
to call us to something deeper, to remind us that we were created to thrive, that we were created to pull out more. And one of the things that I think about, we, we talk about small groups a lot, and one of, the, one of the reasons why I wonder if small groups don't kind of start and fizzle fairly quickly is because we have settled into small group is getting to know each other's names, sharing a meal, maybe knowing each other's kids' birthdays, and there's nothing wrong with all three of those things. And to be clear, if that meal includes anything that Betty's cooking, I am down for a koinonia dinner, okay? So, but what if there's more? And Philemon here, this, this letter is inviting us in this season to more. That's why barely a Sunday or any other time someone's on stage goes by without us talking about four to seven friends or a small group. Because we actually can be pulled into a deeper relationship through, in Christ, through our meaningful relationships. So Paul, here's what he's doing. He goes, hey, you've been doing all these really great things, Philemon. It's like kind of the butt. You know, he's, get, he's buttering it up. He's about to Jesus juke him. He's like, man, you're good. Man, you're good. You do all these good things. You're a, you're a quality leader. You open your home. You're generous with your food. All of these things are great. But what if there's more? You legally are permissible for you to keep Onesimus as a slave, but what if there's more? What if what is good and right and comfortable for you is at the expense of somebody else? Would you be willing to consider something deeper? And maybe life is going great for you, but maybe other people need you in a group. Maybe you need other people in a group. I I was, just the last couple of weeks, I'm so thankful for Pastor Peter and Carolyn's example over and over they don't just get up and say get in a group or get four to seven friends they talk about it all the time a couple of weeks ago pastor peter was talking about when he was newly married and had this job and this lady was giving him you know the the eyes whatever he said uh i'm just assuming he was better looking at that just um (laughs) but scandalous text um but she was she was paying attention to him and he was doing nothing wrong But in the context of a relationship, one of his friends said, hey, you should tell Carolyn about this. You should talk to her about this. And I so appreciate not only the transparency and vulnerability of him telling us, but that he would go to his wife and say, hey, this lady's paying some attention to me, and I just don't want anything between us and our marriage. And he talked about that being catalytic to the intimacy in their marriage, catalytic to the depth um, and deep meaning in their marriage. What if some of the things where we're doing nothing wrong, we just need somebody alongside of us to go, but there could be more. Carolyn just, I think two weeks ago, talked about the important role of people in her close circle in her health journey. And I love how she talked about that. Because we all have health goals, right? Almost all of us. I mean, this doesn't come just from being born. (laughs) This is... We have health goals. Most of us can't get there because if you're like me, you like to sit on the couch and watch sports or TLC or flipping a house and figuring out how you can, oh, I need to do this for my house, right? Like we we love that, but, but we have a goal and we need other people. And Carolyn was so, it was so beautiful just to go and to get to my goal, I needed somebody else, that deep kind of meaning. My wife and I, uh, we're in a small group, a substance small group, and we've been talking about um, the book of James, which is a book where we talk uh, a little bit about how 
James says, hey, being a Christ follower, it shows up really, really well in the things that you do, especially along the sides of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. And and in our group, we were meeting in a very nice house with really great people, and we were talking about ways that we can engage and put our faith into action. And we talked about, um, somebody said, hey, I'm really involved in the PTA, and somebody else said, I did like this plant drive over here, and they were good conversations, and I have zero angst towards the PTA. Uh, But somebody else said, do you think that's what James meant? Do you think James wrote this letter so that we'd get more involved in the PTA? And please be involved in the PTA, and if there's any PTA presidents, we give you full reign to just recruit the heck out of substance, okay? But, but maybe James is inviting us to something even broader. And I won't tell you what our conclusions were, but it grabbed a deeper conversation. Do you have people that are inviting you into deeper conversations? If you, like me, man, you're like, man, there is times when my transformation stalls. Look closely at your relationships and say, who am I opening myself up to that is invited to be a part of those conversations that says, hey, you're doing a whole bunch of really good things, but have you thought about this? Have you chewed on this scandalous text. And so I'm going to invite everybody, pull out your phone real quick because I'm sure everybody is in small groups. Come on, pull out your phone. Um, You're all in small groups, but there's like three people that God showed me that aren't, and we don't want to ostracize you. So y'all are just terrible listeners. Pull out your phone online in the campuses. There is a QR code behind me. I'm going to ask you to just pull up your phone and scan that QR, even if you don't know how, if you're like, I don't really know what to do. It's also a great excuse to take a picture of me and post it if you want. I'm going to do this because you might not remember what this one's about even though it says small group. I'm going to give a hug like this because that's how I feel about small groups, all right? And so this is your reminder that you have a group of people that will love you here. Would you consider as part of your ongoing transformation being a part of a group that has these kinds of conversations? And so we can be continually transformed. The gospel can transform us through deeper relationships, through this kind of koinonia, and also through new identity. And I love this part. It seems to be the part that screams the loudest from the text is Paul's going, hey, hey, we're all Christ followers, but have you considered that Onesimus should be free? Have you considered that he should no longer be a slave? I was sitting at the Caribou just uh, a few blocks from the Northtown campus getting ready to come over here and I was listening to a Bethel song called No Longer Slave. And I was just thinking about how often we all need to hear this. As we round the corner towards the 4th of July and we celebrate our nation's independence, this, this scripture invites our identity to remember that we're no longer slave. That you are not who you thought you were. That you are no longer a slave to your anger, to your love of money, to your ambition. You're no longer a slave to your apathy. You're no longer a slave to that screen, to that substance. You are free. And we need other people. Onesimus can't just go, I want to be free. Boop, he's free. My son Moses, like he is this incredibly intense dude. And he's always holding like toys and just going, I actually don't know what it means. But I think sometimes in our faith journey, we're like that with life. I just want more money. I just want to be healthier. I want a spouse. You, you know, those types of things. I want. And here, in the context of relationship, we may need somebody to call it out. 
I was watching uh, with my family last week, The Chosen. Don't judge me, we're late to the game. We're only on season two. I think it was like episode two, and there's a conversation, I believe, between Philip and Matthew, and I love Matthew. Matthew has been cast as this, as this uh, gentleman. He might be on the spectrum, uh, but in this conversation, he's talking about feeling very marginalized. He draws a circle, and he says he's over here, and every, he's like, and it moved me, and Philip looked at him and said, you're always talking was. Once the rabbi invites you, it's only am which is a little bit Yoda, always was, only am. You know, um, little Spielberg knockoff. Uh, but we need that. We need someone's, you're always talking about your anger. Do you know that there's peace? You're a mom and you're always talking about your desperation for your kids. Do you know that you can have peace? You're talking about climbing that ladder and striving for that thing. That new job, that promotion, that whatever, do you know that you can be content? This, this is our freedom song. We are no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves. One of the things it says, we're surrounded by songs of deliverance. That's what this community is. This radical community of people that are like, here's my song of deliverance. Here's what it feels like for me to live my freedom. Can I help call out your freedom? As I was praying, there are people in here, there are people online, there are people at our campuses that are believing a lie that you were the thing that you used to be, but you're somebody new. You're like a phoenix, and you can rise up today out of the ashes of who you used to be into who God's called you to be. And then it goes to the third. The gospel transforms through deeper relationships and transforms through new identity. And the third one, it's going to be the trickiest because the gospel transforms through disadvantage. This is going to go against most everything that we are taught in our culture. If you're like me, like most humans, we like advantage. All right? I like football. And when I watch football, if my team, the Packers, do not hate, I can see Lambeau Field Jumbotron from my, back, from my parents' backyard. When they play the Vikings, I want Delvin Cook to be hurt. Too soon, I know. Uh, because I want the advantage. I don't want equally matched. I'm not interested in equally matched. I'm, equally, I'm interested in the W. If you're not a football fan, okay. When I'm driving, I see a spot in traffic that I can zigzag and get advantage, so I have that easy lane. We are wired for advantage. If I cut a cookie, my two younger girls are going to run, and they want the bigger piece. We're wired for it. And yet, here what we see is our liberation story is on the other side of embracing disadvantage. You see, Onesimus doesn't become free if Philemon doesn't make a real sacrifice. It's not just, poof, you're free. Slavery at that time was a source of social status. It was a source, it was a worldview. You were not only part of the elite, but this was just how the gods had ordered it. You were meant to be right here. And so he would have to give up wealth, he would have to give up status, have you ever been around people where you make a decision to live a little different and the people around you that are also Christ followers are like, oh, you know, oh, you don't watch that show anymore? You're so holy, right? Like, what does it look like when we allow ourselves to continue to be transformed and we maybe do it at our own disadvantage so that other people can thrive? There is a word called peace 
shalom, interconnected thriving. It's not just the absence of conflict. In fact, a lot of times it's inviting a bit of disadvantage so other people can thrive. It's why I love talking about our partners. It's why you were like, man, I can't believe Cuckoo gave that food, risking her life. I can't believe that Shashila went back to that border. I can't believe that Me Too would get out of jail and go back. What does, it, what does it mean for these kind of partners to not only experience their own transformation, but be committed to the transformation of others? This year, this uh, week, I got a photo. It's a photo of some widows. Now, you might think you know what this looks like, but check out what these widows are doing. These widows heard that there were other widows that were hungry. And so on their backs is 70 to 90 pounds of food each. And they will walk up that. Nobody has Nike Airs or the new vans, okay? In sandals, they're going to walk up for three to four hours, depending on who's the fastest, so that other people can eat. I love the phrase, we're just one beggar trying to show another beggar where to eat. They, they are disadvantaging themselves. And if you don't believe that they're disadvantaging yourselves, if I said, hey, we're going to get a group of people today, we're going to go throw 70 to 90 pounds on our back, and we're going to walk in the you know, 85 to 90 degree heat so that other people can eat, you'd be like, where can I give some money? I'm going to the cabin, right? Like, what does it take for us to disadvantage. And here's how you know it's part of our calling. You know what you all did? You saw the photo and you said, wow. There's something inside of us that goes, that's something significant. Our community, our families, the world needs to see us doing that so that they go, wow, what is that? What is that? Several times back, I told the story of a young woman named Hannah. Hannah was one of the first girls that went through our safety program. She was the first female graduate from her community that graduated from what they call college, we call high school. She came over to the U.S., had wild success speaking and sharing her story. Two people wrote a book about her. She was offered two full-ride scholarships to university. Uh, one family invited her to come live in their home on the beach in Florida million-dollar place, very similar to my home. Uh, <laughs> and while she was living there, a global pandemic hit, and she felt very compelled to go back and help her sisters, which she says anybody who's like her is her sister. And she left a million-dollar home, and she flew back to Nepal, and she rented a 400-square-foot apartment and allowed 10 other women to live with her. And I've shared that story before up to that point, but let me just tell you what she's done this year. As she has willingly disadvantaged, disadvantaged herself, as she literally is considering that maybe the gospel doesn't call us to just be comfortable, safe, and even right. But she's gone back and she started a movement that trains women about how God so beautifully made their body as one of the core tenets to free them. So they're teaching about feminine hygiene and in the last two years, she has trained 45,000 women about how God has made their body. 45,000. These women, she has literally helped plant churches and this year alone, she has gotten on a plane herself, this woman, and gone to brothels and literally told the brothel owner, you better get out of the way and grabs the girls and literally walks them out. Rescued 10 girls. And you, yeah, it's incredible. This is, 
This is the wildlife that we're all called to. I am not kidding you. This is for all of us. You might go, I'm not going to go to Nepal. I totally get that. Maybe you won't do 70 to 90 pounds on your back unless you're Dushep and you're going to use it as a sermon illustration because CrossFit. Um, but, but, but what does it look like for us to just be open and going, my ongoing transformation, maybe I need to consider disadvantage. Maybe it's not about being comfortable or even safe or right. But can I surround myself with people that will invite me to do something? Okay, everybody pull out your phones. You practice the first time, pull out your phones. I got like 20 seconds. I can't have this delay time, okay? Pull out your phones. We got a QR code. We have serve day, July 15. And you might think that's just a good photo op for substance, but this is a practical way where when we bump up against scripture, we don't just go, that was good. You're kind of funny, I'm out but that we say, no, we're going to take this serious. What does it mean for you to disadvantage two to three to four hours of your Saturday with family, with your small group, to do something? And so you've got your phones out. I'm going to do this one, okay? Because this is like serve day. I can't get the picture of Drew Shep with the T-shirt where he cuts off the sleeves, you know? Serve day. Seriously. I'm going to say, stop laughing. Let's serve our city. Let's look at this scripture. Let's look at this scripture and go, what does it mean for us? Because at the beginning, we, we talked about those missionaries. And we talked about those pastors that found it inconvenient. Don't worry, I printed this out. I didn't actually rip out the Bible but we're bumped up against scripture. And our moment is to rise up like our partners or to rip it out because it's inconvenient. This scrutinized and scandalized text is an on-ramp for your continued transformation. My wife and I were listening to some gospel music, not Maverick City, that's your gateway gospel music. So for those of you, you can start there but then you get into the real stuff, okay? The 17 minutes, they're yelling at you, they're taking you to the depths, they're taking you to the heights, and we're just doing this. And, and this gentleman and this female says, this is our Exodus song. What does he mean? The Exodus song, this ongoing story that happens throughout scripture, Moses raised in a palace that gives it all up, disadvantages, so that he can rescue the Israelite slaves. Esther. Married into the palace, puts it all on hold to save the Jewish people. Philemon, totally right in having a slave, at least legally permissible, gave it up. Philippians, Jesus, back to the transformation, was equal with God, but didn't consider equality something to be strived for and lowered himself to serve us. This, this is our Exodus song. On this July 4th weekend, this text, this scandalized, scrutinized, canceled text is insight into the life that you were created to live through deep and meaningful relationships, embracing new identity, and considering what does it look like for us to disadvantage ourselves so that other people can thrive. As our campus pastor comes up to tell us where we're going next, I just wanna pray over you. With our eyes open, with our heads up, 
You are new. You are a phoenix. You can rise up out of whatever you're going through, your family, your business, your isolation, your loneliness, your broken relation. You can rise up. This is why we meet, to remind one another. This, this is a collection of deliverance songs around here. We testify that this is good. You are seen, God is not mad, and your transformation is not over. For his kingdom come and his will to be done. Campus pastors, tell us where we're going next.